You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to this edition of the Husker Online show as we are over a week now out of spring football. Finals week on campus approaching players going to leave uh, the team um, after finals will get about a week and a half. I mean, that, that's one thing that's interesting to me, guys, is under Mike Riley, the team used to get an entire month away from the program. I mean, essentially, once finals ended, they didn't have to report back until the first five-week session. Um, this year, the players will come back May 13th, um, which is essentially 10, 11 days after finals week ends. The freshmen report um, ideally by May 20th. Um, so they're really trying to maximize the summer program with this team. Uh, I think it's the right approach to take. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's a vast difference from what we've seen here, with, especially with the Riley staff. Well, especially when you've seen what a month off can do to a team. I mean, when the guys aren't working out the way they're supposed to, not eating the way they're supposed to, not focusing in on getting better mentally. I mean, that can really set you back, especially if you've made good progress over the course of the spring, which all indications are they did. You don't want those guys to completely forget everything and, um, you know, take a few steps back after you made so much progress. Yeah, it's like you taking a month off from the gym. I mean, you feel it when uh, you get yeah, back exactly, in there. Exactly, exactly. All of a sudden, you're not as strong, you're not as fast, you get tired faster. So anyway, that's get them back here as soon as you possibly can. Give them a break, see their family, kind of let them you know mentally regroup, but then be ready to hit the ground running for an important summer. Well, and and I think these guys want that. Uh-huh. I, I mean, coming out, um, coming back to uh, you know spring f- football practice early from spring break, and I mean that just those little things yeah. like that. I mean, I think they they want it, and and they, I think they're going to be all about it, and. Um, and realize that the benefit is there and, and that it's, it's going to be you know, good for them to be back and, and going through that early uh, rather than taking an extended period of time off. I always thought it was weird they got a whole month. I mean, I was like, God, that just seemed like a long time to it's me. It's counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, when in your life do you ever get a month away <laughs> like, I mean, as yeah. you become a grown man? And these guys are grown men now. They're not kids. I mean, they're kids, but they're not. I mean, they're – they're in a big-time deal here. You don't get a month away from anything in life. Wow. Yeah. Well, Nate touched on it, too. I thought maybe the one of the best storylines of the spring was that spring break when uh, basically the players organized a, a conversation led by Damian Jackson and uh, Muhammad Barry and some of those seniors that – you know, you're going to get a few days off, but you're coming back early and you're not going to party that hard because we got to get to work and we're going to organize our own workouts. We're going to go over uh, our own individual position meetings and just basically make sure we are ready to go from day one when practices resume after break. And that's the kind of the, the cultural shift 
that is really impressive. I mean, compared to where things were under Riley, where they're getting a month off and basically just completely disconnecting from football for that period of time to where guys don't even want to take a full spring break. Um, that's the kind of accountability and the focus and just desire to get better uh, that has really been hammered home since Scott Frost got here, and you're already starting to see some pretty impressive results. Yeah, to me, the the biggest thing from from that Damian Jackson and, and Muhammad Barry text was that hey, we were four and eight last year. We don't have the luxury of of being able to to have a full spring break, or in this case, to be you know to have an entire month off before summer conditioning starts. I mean, if we if we want to get this thing going, um, you know, we're gonna have to sacrifice a little bit, and and so. Uh, you know, I think this is just another part of that. This weekend now, guys, will be the NFL draft. It's in Nashville. By the way, how sweet would that be to be in That'd Nashville? Be I mean, mm-hmm. we went, we got to experience Nashville for a bowl trip. And talk about a, you know, I know the draft was in New York forever. I like how they're moving it around. But Nashville just seems like, I, I'm, I imagine it's going to get great reviews from all the it's people. perfect setup. Uh, people that go down the Broadway and the, all the different places down there. But Nebraska... First of all, I don't know if we're going to see anybody picked. Obviously, Thursday, first round, no. Uh, I really obviously think Friday's a stretch. I mean, Saturday's going to be the day, and Mm -hmm. anywhere from probably two to four Huskers go, and, you know, Stanley Morgan and Devino Zigbo, then Luke Gifford and Tanner Farmer. I think those are the four guys that you got to watch closely here as, as we move into Saturday of the draft. Yeah, it seems like fifth round is probably about when you're going to start to see some of those Nebraska guys going. I think a lot of the the mocks or projections have Stanley as a fifth, Divine as a fifth. Um, you know, I think Tanner Farmer is going to be a sneaky pick, uh, maybe a round or two later. And then obviously Luke Gifford has gained a lot of momentum um, now that he's you know, finally been able to stay healthy and work out, and uh, teams are able to, to kind of actually get to see him firsthand. So yeah, I don't think you'll see anybody else besides those four. Um, and you know, there's no guarantee all four get drafted, but. Um, I do think that you know there's certainly going to be more than we've seen in previous years, which is a step in the right direction, and hopefully uh, the theme to come uh, going forward. Yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction, but man, it's going <clears> to <throat> sting for a lot of Nebraska fans when I think on Thursday you see two, two Iowa guys possibly going two the, tight ends yeah, in the first round. They might two. have three. Yeah, yeah, possibly three. So, um, yeah, I think it is. It's trending in the right direction, but. Still, obviously, um, you know, ways to go before Nebraska kind of gets back to, to what you would like to see. And Noah Fant uh, will be the first Nebraskan taken in the first round um, since Noonan in the, in, in the 80s. Wow. Um, then before that, Stein Cooler. So pretty rare error that Noah Fant – let me ask you this, Nate. When we first came across Noah Fant his sophomore year when he was at Burke um, transferring to South, I can still remember this, like – you know, he didn't really have a huge career yet at Burke, but you just kind of knew he had potential. And when he made that transfer, he wasn't even at South yet. And some of the coaches that we talked to from other schools, we were telling them to go to South to go see this Noah Fant kid. He's not there yet, but he's going to be a dude. And um, it's still, I I still don't know if I ever would have imagined first round talent. So, I mean, you got to give Iowa strength and conditioning and everyone there a lot of credit for developing him because um, it's really amazing because you, you just didn't really realize that you're looking at a first round guy back then. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I feel I feel like I knew that he had uh, the potential to be a really good college football player, but never in my wildest dreams did I think this guy is going to be a first round draft pick. And um, you know, and for Iowa to have a couple guys go in the first round, possibly 
And I think it is a credit to their to their development and and especially you know the strength conditioning staff that they've got and uh, and you hope that you know with guys like Zach Duvall and, and Dave Ellis kind of running the ship at Nebraska that that you know Nebraska is going to be able to start developing guys that that are into um, you know that possibly you know get drafted on the first day or or to have a handful of guys go in the first couple of days again. And they I mean they have other guys. Obviously Hawkinson mm-hmm. is going to be one of the highest tight ends in years. Uh, drafted ahead of Noah Fan on many projections. You got Amani Hooker from Iowa, the defensive mm-hmm. back, and then um, the defensive lineman uh, Nelson Anthony Nelson. So we have a big draft day for Iowa. Um, it will be interesting to see kind of how the rest of the league uh, fares. I mean, Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. You know, it's interesting with the quarterback debate with a guy like Josh Rosen. Um, you know, a lot of people think if he would have been in this year's draft, he might have been you know a much higher pick this year. Um, in the draft, so he's kind of trade bait for the Cardinals, and a lot of teams can be lining up Robin for a draft. I guess you know Josh Rosen's name will be a guy to see where he ends up. So there's a lot of intrigue uh, with the conference and some of these other bigger things, especially with the quarterback position. Yeah, I know all about it because I'm a New York Giants <laughs> fan, and they were supposed to take their quarterback of the future at six overall, and it was supposed to be Dwayne Haskins, but. Sounds like that's not going to happen Rosen. anymore. Well, I don't know. Or they're going to take Daniel Jones from Duke just because he was coached by the same guy that coached the Mannings. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another podcast. But, uh, yeah, I think the quarterback position is probably the most intriguing. I mean, usually always is. But especially this year because, I mean, obviously Kyler Murray's regarded as the number one overall player. But there's, I mean, it's assumed the Cardinals are going to take him. But what if they don't trade Rosen? What if they want to stick with him? And what if they trade that pick or whatever i mean and so after that that first domino falls i mean that's going to impact how all those other guys go to where it's going to impact haskins and then you got washington reportedly wanting to trade up into the top five to take Dwayne haskins that came out on wednesday and so i mean there's all sorts of um hypotheticals that we're not going to know until things start getting wild on thursday and so uh there's gonna be a lot of big 10 flavor in it certainly um and then i think with the quarterback uh, situation and how that shakes out, that's going to impact how the rest of the draft goes You know, from Thursday on. I've even heard if Trevor Lawrence was eligible this year, he'd be the question. number one pick. I mean, it will be interesting to see because he's got to do two more years at Clemson, right? I mean, he's got to yeah. play a full two. It's just so dumb. <laughs> he could play his sophomore year, then redshirt his third year and just call it good. Be good. That, I mean, he wouldn't do that. I don't, he's not that kind of guy. But there'll be teams lining up to tank seasons in two years from now to get him. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So maybe maybe that's the Giants' plan. Maybe they're just refusing to take a quarterback until Trevor Lawrence is ready. Well, and Cleveland's got their guy. I mean, the bad team, (laughs) Jacksonville (laughs) – they don't have their guy. No, they don't. No, have Jacksonville. Could what about be a Denver? Team. Denver. Denver's yeah. got, Denver's got Joe Flacco. They're all in on Joe Flacco. Boy, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, is there? I mean, I get the Manning move for Elway, but man, has he has no. he done much else right? No. no, especially at the quarterback position. They've been absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. Him he, and like Michael Jordan are like identical as far as like great players that have been really bad GM type guys. I mean, he's he assembled a really good roster. Defensively. They won a Super Bowl. Well, yeah, I mean, he did win a Super Bowl. That's more than Jordan did as a GM. But. So, but unfortunately, the quarterback, greatest quarterback in franchise history can't find a, a good quarterback. Yeah, I mean, that's, the f- that's not Peyton Manning. Yeah. They're pretty much the fourth team right now in the, the division. I mean, the Chiefs are the top right now and the Chargers had a great year and, and the Raiders are on the come. I mean, the Raiders are moving to Vegas and they're going to get better over time. Uh, Seahawks just fleeced the Chiefs, I feel like. <laughs> they got a guy. The Chiefs has got a guy that's got 14 sacks. Yeah. They, that's what they need. Do you think at pick 29? How, how are they the, going to pay all those guys? Well, yeah, that's the thing. They're, they're not paying Mahomes yet. 
yet. They got to give that franchise. Yeah, guy. Mahomes gets five years. They, they they don't have to pay him till after his fifth year. I don't know. That, on the surface, that deal looks terrible. It looks so <laughs> completely one sided. At pick twenty nine, what are you going to get on defense that's going to help Patrick Mahomes win now? They have Super Bowl potential right now for whatever amount of time, and they need a pass rusher, and they got the best guy in the league. There's a lot of pass rushers in this draft. Yeah, but can you guarantee a 14-and-a-half sack production year? You're guaranteeing that? That's what he had last year. I'm saying. How many guys do that two years in a row? Yeah. We'll I see. I don't know. Pick 29. <laughs> losing your 29th pick to me is not a big deal. That's not a, that's not a great pick. To me, it's the money. It's the – because – Paying him $20 million a year? Yeah, you gotta, you're going to have to – you're gonna have to pay that's a that lot guy. of cap space. Yeah. They cut Eric Berry, right? They let him loose. I mean, they, they've cut a lot of guys. They traded Ford. That's basically what that second rounder was for. That yeah. they is gave the Clemson is Sam is Sammy Watkins still around? I mean, that's a guy they got to cut loose eventually because yeah. his his contract's big, and you could find that guy in the draft. But anyway, uh, we'll steer away from NFL and get back to Huskers. When we come back, we're gonna talk Nebraska basketball for our next two segments. Robin's gonna give us some thoughts on early impressions of the staff in action and recruiting and what's going on. And then we'll talk more about some of the latest roster additions that have taken place. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett. It's been a very, very busy period for Nebraska basketball. In fact, probably the busiest period Robin Washett's had um, since he's been around Husker Online covering just all the roster moves, coaching moves, um, et cetera, with transfers and guys leaving the program, new targets, new offers. I wanted to delve in more to the staff, though, because we didn't get a chance to really get into it last week. Uh, but you were able to kind of get your first glimpse with some roundtable interviews uh, of the entire Fred Hoiberg staff and kind of the makeup and the direction they're going with the different people in there. I mean, you essentially have two guys on the staff that were former head coaches. You got a recruiting guy in Abelmazi. I, I just butchered the name again. Close enough. I was close enough there. <laughs> I'm going to keep butchering that name every time I say it. Um, but yeah, and then Armand Gates, uh, a Tim Miles holdover. So it's a it's a unique makeup of guys. I mean, what's your early impressions of just time spent around them, and, and thoughts of the, of the makeup of how Fred's got it put together? Well, they're all guys. I mean, outside of Armand, that Fred Hoiberg one trusts and has a pre existing relationship with that goes back many many years with all those guys, and so. Uh, he's got his right-hand man you know, with Matt Abdelmasi. I mean, he is basically the recruiting coordinator. He's the guy that's going to run the show, um, basically do the grocery shopping for Fred to cook with. And then uh, for the X's and O's coaching stuff, he's got Doc Sadler, who uh, hired him at Iowa State. Uh, they go back a long, long way. Uh, there's a really good relationship there where – um, Fred's going to trust Doc to essentially handle the defense. So there's your defensive coordinator who um, is going to be really involved with the day-to-day stuff, um, you know, with game planning and particularly uh, formulating defensive game plans because Fred acknowledges that's not his biggest strength by any stretch. Uh, then you have Armand Gates, who is kind of the new guy um, with the, the band getting back together. Uh, but he's kind of brings the element, for one, uh, of continuity. I mean, he's he's the holdover from Tim Miles that, um, you know, with this amount of turnover going on, he's kind of the one steady piece. Even though he was only here for a year, uh, he's the familiar face that can give some of these returning guys 
um, you know, just a, a, a face they know and have built a relationship with uh, that I think will kind of smooth that transition. But to his credit, he's got a recruiting chops of his own. I mean, he's got deep ties in Chicago and Ohio uh, and around the Midwest, even on the East Coast. Um, and then obviously he's, he put together some pretty good game plans last year uh, when he got the scout uh, for some for some particular opponents, so um, he kind of does checks every box. You know, he does a little bit of everything. Where um, you know you have Abdul Masi, who's your recruiter. You have Doc, who's your defensive game planner, and then the X factor, uh, the luxury that no Nebraska head coach had is having the special assistant to the head coach in Bobby Lutz, a guy with 37 years of coaching experience, was most recently the head coach at Charlotte. Uh, coached with Fred, he was Fred's first hire at Iowa State. So obviously uh, they go back a long way, and that is a guy that is going to be um, basically a coach without the coaching title. Uh, he, I mean, he can be in practice. Yeah, he can. He can be in practice. I don't he can know, direct guys. I don't think he can do like actual instruction, but he could formulate all the defensive or all the game planning. I mean, he is like going to be the long-term scout guy uh, to where usually like coaches get you know they alternate alternate games to do the scouting report. Well, Bobby's going to do almost all of them, and he's going to have. A, tremendously detailed book on each opponent that's coming up to where uh, they can just have it right, right there ready to go it takes a whole bunch of workload off those assistance plates uh, to where they can focus on you know their kind of individual tasks and he's also going to be in charge of scheduling and he's just going to be a, a, an experienced uh, veteran aide for Fred Hoiberg who in his own right is still pretty new at being a, a high major college basketball coach so uh, Fred really did a good job of surrounding himself with very talented people that are very good at their individual strengths and all those strengths put together I think put together a pretty complete staff that uh, certainly would make up for any shortcomings Fred might have as a head coach and we've talked about this before Robin like what will the Big Ten money really do for Nebraska how can they really put it to use well I think the way you just broke things down I mean this is how they're putting it to use you have a guy like Bobby Lutz that you could essentially give a, a respectable six-figure salary mm -hmm. to be not one of the three assistants to take workload off the assistance for scouting. So then those guys can actually coach the current team and have more time, more to, recruit, time to recruit, which helps you get better players in Nebraska. So, I mean, this is a really prime example to me of how Big Ten money could be spent wisely. And this is what we've been talking about even before when Tim Miles was still here, was if you do make a change, it's got to be a full-on commitment to making Nebraska basketball better. And so far, uh, Nebraska has put its money where its mouth is. I mean, that that type of investment uh, with the coaching staff, I mean, not only getting those types of guys and adding Bobby Lutz, but uh, paying them the money they are. I mean, they're one of the highest-paid staffs in the country, let alone the Big Ten. Uh, and so, I mean, they're, they're giving – Fred every uh, resource uh, at his disposal. The private jet access is more than it's ever been. Uh, and, and just go down the list of luxuries that Hoiberg and his staff are going to have that no other Nebraska coach had. Um, this It's a full-on commitment, and that's exactly what needed to happen for this thing to work. And right now, it's off to a very good start. Well, you got the Big Ten money, and then the, the revenue you make off Pinnacle Bank Arena. I mean, I mm -hmm. think, if I remember our numbers from Steve Rosen, after all expenses paid last year, it was like eight or nine million profits. So, I mean, they're making mm -hmm. legit money on basketball just, and they, they need to spend it. Just I mean, imagine if they start winning. I mean, just think where that profit's going to go. Because Nebraska's price per ticket is actually on the very low end of Power Five. I mean, when Power P6 for basketball, yeah. I guess. But when you break it down. It's a pretty affordable ticket compared to. I mean, you could sit for six bucks. Mm hmm. I mean, you can barely get into a high school basketball game at like Lincoln South <laughs> State basketball. It's true, state basketball I think costs eight dollars now to get into. I mean, we get into our passes, so I can't. 
say that. Yeah, it's eight dollars. I think a session to go to state tournament now. So pretty remarkable. In Nebraska, I mean, they 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 clearly said our goal is to keep keep Pinnacle Bank Arena full and and build on the atmosphere and the buzz. And that three hundred level is hard to sell. Mm-hmm. If they can get it to a point where three hundred levels a prime ticket. Yep. I mean, that's some real money. And winning, Nebraska supports winners like no other. And so if, if Fred can get this thing to where Nebraska's competing for NCAA tournaments and you know being in the, consistently in the top half of the Big Ten, that is going to be a tough ticket. And already for this season. I mean, they haven't even played a game yet, but the season ticket demand is through the roof right now. And I would imagine that the secondary market for some of those tickets, especially those first uh, couple of, of Hoiberg games at PBA, they're going to be through the roof. Oh, and, and you can't get tickets. I mean – Lower bowl, I mean, you'd essentially have to give like a hundred thousand dollar donation, or I mean, just some crazy donation to get your priority points high enough to jump the front of the line to get lower bowl seats. Because think how many football season ticket holders that have priority points and may not have basketball mm-hmm. tickets now are going to use those priority points to jump the line to get whatever. Like last year, what do we look at, Robin? Was it seventy, maybe seventy, seventy-five? 100 and 200 level seats opened and that was it mm-hmm. Pinnacle Bank Arena. Mm-hmm. I mean it was unbelievable last year and it's going to be just like that if not harder to get those tickets going forward. Yeah, so I mean obviously they've got more money than they've ever had before which is the Big 10 contract, but I mean if if Fred can do what he's supposed to do, uh Nebraska basketball is going to be a cash cow. Well, we're going to talk more now on the roster Nebraska's made some additions, um, you know, they, they are at, bringing players left and right. Robin's going to get us caught up to speed on that all next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as uh, we are talking more Nebraska basketball as it has been just a waiver wire of action uh, watching things and um, if you if you want to get caught up on it, first of all, come to HuskerOnline.com every Monday the last couple of weeks, and I assume you're gonna have another one this week yep. on Monday. Robin yep. does a uh, what do you call the piece? The two it was the 1.0, the 2.0, the recruiting snapshot. Yeah, recruiting snapshot. First one was uh, 1.0, last was 2.0. Basically, it's just a gimmicky headline. But so if it's, you're it's, a busy young dad like Nate and I, and don't have time to read all of Robin's work, which I know there are very few of you because everyone reads all of Robin's of work. Course. But this gets you caught up in about 10, 15 minutes of everything you want to know about who they've offered, who they're bringing in, who's jumped on board, how many spots are left available. And, you know, we saw the first really big addition, Robin, last week on on Nebraska. Uh, Hanif Cheatham, a former top 100 player that signed with Marquette, transferred to the Florida Gulf Coast, six foot five guard, um, shooting guard. Uh, he's a point guard or shooting guard? He's a wing, basically like a. a a shooting guard, small forward. But uh, signed with Nebraska as a graduate transfer. I mean, this is about as big of a grad transfer piece as they probably could have added. Yeah, I mean, especially just the, the timing of it. And what's interesting is, you know, talk with Matt Abdelmasi during that roundtable session was he made it very clear that uh, they try to avoid grad transfers because there's just kind of a lot of risk that you run with them because um, if they don't, come in and be the guy right away then a lot of times they can mess up your locker room and uh you know there's just kind of a lot more uh cons than there are pros but in this situation i think they found a guy one that they think can immediately come in and compete for a starting job and probably will be a starter uh two does a lot of things that they want out of that position i mean he's not the greatest perimeter shooter but he can shoot Um, he's great at getting to the basket and so he's you know kind of one of those 
um, able to play in space and beat people off the dribble that Hoiberg loves. And maybe more importantly, he's an elite level defender when he's really dialed in. And so he's got the length and the size and um, maybe something that hasn't been talked about a lot, though, that should be is the experience he brings. I mean, this is a guy that's played a lot of big time basketball, three years at Marquette, uh, a shoulder injury last year, only limited him to like five games. Um, and so that kind of gave him a year off, but, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a veteran present in a presence in a locker room that really doesn't have a lot of veteran presence. I mean, there's, that's going to be a complete makeover of a roster with the only returning guys being young, uh, who haven't played a lot of big time ball. And so I think Hanif Cheatham is going to immediately step in and be looked to as kind of one of those locker room voices. That's not only going to play a lot, but he's going to have a big role in practice and in the locker room. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk about guys coming in and visits. Um, they had a, they've had a guy, Robin, come in from UNLV, um, a guy scheduled from Seattle. Um, give us the latest on some of these other grad transfer pieces because these are players that obviously they're bringing in because they lack bodies that can play immediately. Yeah, so the, there's another grad transfer, speaking of grad transfers, that was in here last weekend. Um, Matei Cavas. Uh, he's a 6'8", 200-ish pound forward i think he played kind of some guard at seattle uh that shot about 40 percent from three-point range for his career there's one season where he made almost 100 threes at a 40 percent clip so i mean this dude is the knockdown shooter that fred hoiberg's looking for and he was on an official visit his first and only official visit so far since leaving seattle um i think nebraska's in a very good spot with him um, you know he's a guy that's you're, he's not going to do any interviews he's not going to tell anybody uh what he's thinking but uh you get the sense uh, just coming out of that visit that um he I mean, and things went about as well as they could have and a commitment probably could be coming sooner than later and so nebraska's you know in a good spot there and then this weekend this is gonna be a big one because uh, this is when their point guard is coming to town cam mack uh the you know six three uh two 200 ish pound point guard from austin texas who's now at salt lake community college in utah rated the number two overall player uh, in the junior college ranks for 2019 one spot ahead of Gervais Green, who obviously Hoiberg was able to get to recommit. Um, this is the guy that is going to run the show. He's going to come in and be the guy that makes everything click for for Hoiberg's offense off, um, uh, immediately at the point guard spot. Uh, he's a scorer. He averaged about 19 points per game, but that was because it's junior college, and you're just trying to get yours and put up stats. I think he's at his best when he is facilitating for others. And when you have guys like Deshaun Burke, Gervais Green, Hanif Cheatham, um, maybe even a, a, a Mateka Voss, where you can spread the floor and basically make defenses choose how they're going to defend you uh that's when he's at his best because he's an elite driver he's his burst uh off the screen and roll off a high screen is as good as there is uh and you know, i mean he's he's coming here to be the guy and so he, he has an official visit set for uh, arkansas i believe texas a&m uh, and you know, some other schools have been trying to get involved. Gonzaga was really pushing hard for him. Uh, but I would imagine a commitment probably could be coming sooner or later as well. Um, I think Nebraska has um, been in the driver's seat for him for a long time, and that's because of the relationship with Matt Abdomasi. Uh, he recruited him to St. John's, uh, and when Matt left, all of a sudden Cam Mack decides to leave St. John's as well. And so I think, and oh yeah, by the way, 
He's like really good friends with Gervais Green. So, I mean, just add to the list of reasons check, why he should come to check. Nebraska. So this is a guy that's going to be like, if he came 10, 12 points a game next year. If maybe more. I mean, he's the real deal. I mean, he's a pro, uh, and we put him – the only thing is he's got other scores. I mean <laughs> – Like they may not stink next year. They could be pretty – the only thing is they need depth and they need size. And but, so – <laughs> We're not going to have enough time about this segment, but they have two more official visitors coming in this weekend. One of which is a seven foot, two hundred and thirty pound uh, center grad transfer from Utah, Jace Johnson, who uh, is you know, averaged just under a double double. I think around like seven, eight rebounds, seven, eight points, uh, and had thirty three blocks. And you know he's he's the big center that they need in this lineup and uh more importantly he's athletic so he's not just kind of your big lumbering uh isaac haas type center i mean he can get up and down the floor which is what you have to do uh in hoiberg style of play and then they're bringing in a 2019 high school kid from paris france and i really don't know how to pronounce his last name uh it's a bunch of vowels but it looks like uyodrago yvonne uyodrago uh, anyway. Let's call him Drago for radio show purposes. Yeah, yeah, we'll call him the Frenchman. Uh, anyway, he is a 6'8", 220-ish pound power forward who is physical. That's You watch his highlight. I mean, he, he's got some muscle to him, and he can be kind of that enforcer that um, offensively he didn't score a whole lot, but you watch some of those clips. He's being double and triple teamed every time he touches the ball. So uh, I think that he has more off- offensive potential than his numbers might indicate. And he was originally down to a handful of schools. I know Vanderbilt thought they were in a good spot with him. He held off on his commitment when he narrowed it down to a final three, and now he's taking an official visit this weekend to Nebraska. And honestly, I think Nebraska's in a good spot with him too. So they've been getting in on a lot of interesting transfers, but I would imagine within the next week or two, you'll start to see more and more commitments start to file in. And right now they have four open scholarships, five if Isaiah Roby does make that jump to the NBA. So they have spots to fill, and the more that can get on board uh, sooner than later, the better. All right, well, lots to keep up on. Make sure you're on Husker Online as – Robin will have the latest and breaking news on all of it. Uh, so plenty to follow with basketball. When we come back, uh, Ali Snow will join us here in studio. We'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus says bringing in Husker Online intern now, Ali Snow as – we take your questions in the mailbag alleys in the midst of baseball season, but you took a few minutes away. It's also, Allie, is it finals week or is that next week? It's dead week. Finals week is next week, so I'm doing a lot of studying for that. I don't miss those days. No, I can't wait till it's over. Tough, it, toughest to final you have coming up. Mass media law, because John Bender is a tough grader. I've been studying for like three days and still not through half the materials. So. Is that still an open notes test? No. Ooh, it's game changer. That's the only reason I passed. <laughs> I wish it was open notes. Yeah, it used to be open note, open book, and you could bring your laptop in and type it out. I mean, it was a long, lengthy final. I remember that one really well still, and he was my teacher. <laughs> saw Mine John, too? saw him at Big Red Kino earlier this year. Uh, guy hasn't changed a bit. Same guy 20 years ago. But, nice. Uh, All right, what do you got? What's in the mailbag? All right, so the first question is about the Crawford fight. What did you guys think? I'll be honest. First of all, I didn't get to watch it live. I, I watched a replay. I was 
in a Sheraton hotel in California with my family, so didn't have really the opportunity to, to watch the, the fight live. Um, but kind of what I thought, I guess, I mean, he was the better boxer, the better fighter. Um, I felt like Khan tapped out. I think Khan knew it was going to get really ugly for him. And, I mean, you get a five-minute break, guys, and he decided not to take the five minutes, and he quit the fight in 45 seconds on a shot to the leg. It wasn't to the middle. Yeah, you hit in the hip. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, <laughs> it wasn't a, a mid-growing shot. It was a leg shot. And so it was interesting, but 16 of the 18 rounds graded were in favor of Crawford, I and mean, he was dominating the fight. Yeah, I and mean, it was an inevitability that Crawford was going to knock him out. Uh, I mean, that, that was a beating that was in typical Crawford form where he just wears him down, wears him down, and then finally the kill shot happens. Uh, but Khan, man, all those people that are trying to say that he was going to give Crawford a fight, that dude sucked. Like, give me a break. And then he totally tapped out. Like, that was the, the most wuss move ever to sit there and call the fight after you said 45 seconds after getting, like, hitting the thigh. You get a five-minute break. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and then he tried saying, I don't I, quit. I didn't quit. And Crawford I, was like, you didn't quit? Yeah. <laughs> just asked him straight away. Wait, wait, you didn't quit? <clears throat> but it was, yeah, he was taking a beating. I mean, his it was crazy. His his body was even, like, already bruising. His from face the, was just messed up. Yeah, it was yeah, it was uh, it was bad. But it was good to see Crawford win. Uh, but you, I mean, ideally, I think for everyone who bought the fight and and everyone who was watching it, you would have rather seen it end with a firework uh, knockout. Yeah, with with Khan's face on the on the ground, not him tapping out after getting hit in the hip. When Khan or when Crawford knocked that guy out in Lincoln earlier a couple years ago, I mean that, I mean just the the electricity in an yeah, arena was, in a boxing arena when a true knockout happens, it's unbelievable. Like how jacked up people get to see a guy get knocked out that knocked was out. one of the cooler experiences sporting experiences i've i've had the only boxing fight that i've ever been to but that was uh just seeing that live was was pretty nuts what's next ellie what do you have all right so switching over to football what are your impressions of recruiting a few weeks into the evaluation period well right now I mean, the, the big takeaways, I think, are that Nebraska's getting ahead. We've been talking about it now for almost two years, or a year and a half at least, how Nebraska's needed to close the gap and, and, and kind of you know, start to get ahead, and that's what we're seeing. We're, we're, they're offering a ton of 2021 and 2022 kids, not as many 2020 uh, players. And so I think that tells you that, that they're able to work ahead a little bit, that they like where they're at with a lot of the, the seniors-to-be in the 2020 class and and um, you know and I think by the time this thing is over with they're going to be they're going to be ahead um, and, and we'll be able to stop kind of talking about you know them kind of uh, making up ground since uh, since their arrival here in Lincoln. I mean is it just me Nate though over the last 15 years this is kind of the same conversation we have every April um, you know there's just always a mild concern that things aren't going as fast <laughs> as you want there weren't as many commits at the spring game as we wanted or fans wanted to see. But then all of a sudden in June, it just blows up. I mean, it goes on a run every year. Yeah, it never fails. June is is when Nebraska gets commitments. It's not always going to be five commits that come out of the spring game weekend. But I think every almost every year you can look back at that spring game weekend and say, okay, that was, that was the weekend that kind of set the table for – for this guy, this guy, and this guy to, to eventually commit, um, you know, but they got they got their big fish out of that weekend. So I think Nebraska fans need to be happy about that with the with the commitment of uh, Turner Corcoran. 
but um yeah june is when when we use when we typically see the fireworks you know after uh or when these guys are coming to campus for for camps or or just for you know big red weekends or or for this summer possibly even for official visits all right so the next one is what's your take on sakona do we get him or is he gone uh, well, Jamar Sakona, I, I think Nebraska's sitting pretty good with him. The big defensive lineman out of uh, out of California, he had a great uh, spring game visit, and and I think that was um, you know heading in, it was his relationship with Tony Tuioti, uh, which was kind of drawing him to to Nebraska. But after he was able to kind of experience everything that weekend, see things for himself, see Lincoln for himself. I mean, the the guys from the Bay Area up in California. He's never been to, to the middle, you know, to Lincoln, Nebraska before. And so he had no idea what to expect, uh, but he liked the city. <clears throat> he liked the people. And, uh, and I think that his connection with Tony Tuioti is, is going to be there to the very end. Um, I'm not going to say, or I'm not going to, you know, predict that Nebraska gets him quite yet, but I, I think that uh, the, the chances are very, very high there. We're taking your questions in the mailbag with Husker online intern, Allie Snow. All right, so the next one is convince me Mills will have a different impact than Greg Bell year one in the program, leaving aside. Well, I think the difference is power five reps versus no power five reps. And, you know, Dedrick Mills, when he was at Georgia Tech, was one of the best freshman running backs in college football. And he played in a proven, you know, legitimate, you know, ranked program under Paul Johnson. I mean, they were a good program back then. I mean, I think they – we're not too far off from winning the Orange Bowl when when he got there. So, um, you know, I, I I know the the Bell comparison's easy to draw, um, but Mills has already been in a Power Five program. He suffered a setback, unfortunately, that had him to leave made him leave Georgia Tech. Um, so, no, I, I think he's more of a sure thing because he's already proven it at this level. Where Greg Bell never had proven it at this level before. Well, in that system too, uh, you know, obviously he's used to splitting reps. I mean, there's a lot of Georgia Tech running backs that get carries, and so he's not going to come in and get mad if he's not, you know, the clear number one. And he's a different style of runner as Greg Bell. I think he's better suited uh, for the Big Ten, and so you know, obviously the pre- he's a proven commodity that I think uh, just kind of lends itself to having much longer staying power than Greg, Greg Bell did, just because Bell was more of a, you know, flat, not a flash in the pan, but a potential-based hype guy. Well, and the other thing, too, is is uh, even his career at Garden City. Um, you know, he, I think last year the, their top two running backs, um, I think, were in the top three of, of rushing, total rushing out yardage in uh, all of junior college football. So, um, so he split reps last year too, but he was very productive and he's a workhorse type of guy. I mean, he's not a, he's not necessarily, you know, a, a finesse guy where, or a speed guy where he has to get to the edge to, to, uh, to break a, to break a run. He, he prefers to, to run with a physical style in between the tackles and, and he's done it at the, at the power five level. So I think that all those factors combined kind of, uh, you know, I, I think lend, lend it to him being fairly productive or, or not being a, the next Greg Bell necessarily. We got time for two more questions. What's next? Do you think Jurgens can hold up at center during the Big Ten grind? Yes, um, I think he will get there. And, you know, I was on the road this week in Wood River for Scott Frost's deal on Tuesday night where he was honored there. But earlier that day, Frost talked in Grand Island at Riverside Golf Club to the Grand Island Chamber and he raved about the potential of Jurgens. To me, it's clear they want him to be the guy. And 
you know, there hasn't been much chatter about graduate transfer centers. But, I mean, it's really, really difficult, I think, just to find a good graduate transfer center. I mean, it's such a specialized position. So, um, yes, I think he's the guy they want. And it was clear how they even, I think, teamed him up on the red-white game where he was the only center that didn't play on the white. All the other ones were on the white. Juergens was the only one on the red. I think there's valid concern, though, about his ability to just hold up. I mean, when was the last time he made it through a full season healthy? His senior year. Senior year of high school? So no, no, he didn't make it through. Oh, well, he got hurt in the last – Yeah, he got hurt in like the eighth game of the year. I'm sorry. So he didn't make it through a full no, season. He so. didn't make it through as a junior or as a sophomore either. So, so it's yeah, been a long time. I mean, there's a track record of – injury concerns there and especially playing center in the Big Ten Conference I mean uh, that's a pretty physically demanding uh, role that uh, a guy that you know just has kind of had a bad run of injuries I mean you you got definitely it's certainly a concern and something that they're gonna have to be prepared for if he does end up being their number one guy uh, for the start of the season yeah I have no doubt that talent wise yeah I I think he can be an amazing center that but the question is health wise you know can physically can he can he, you know, withstand the beating that he's gonna that he's gonna take there? And I, I mean, I, I think he can, but um, yeah, the track record would show that um, it's been a very long time since he's made it through an entire football season healthy. So uh, hopefully, this year is the year we, we get to see Cameron Jurgens do do that. Final question here in the mailbag. All right, what's your favorite Easter memory? Easter, oh man, this is a tough one to go first on, guys. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just family gatherings. I mean, this year was special for me because we were in California. So, um, you know, we woke up Easter morning and we're in, we were in Disneyland this weekend or that weekend this year. So um, just being in that type of setting was a great memory for me that I know I'll remember forever um, just being around my girls. But now seeing my kids take part in Easter egg hunts and, and you know, watching them, you know, just light up and have fun with that. I mean, that's all that's always, you know, fun for the kids in general for me. Yeah, I'd say this year is probably my favorite because, for one, same thing, daughter's two and a half, and so she's actually, like, understanding what Easter egg hunts are. And uh, after Easter, she was singing, I love Easter, I love Easter. (laughs) So clearly it was a big hit with her. And then also uh, my mother-in-law put on an event for the adults that I'm sure some people saw on Facebook where you hide – beer bottles full beer bottles around the yard and you carry around your little six-pack holder and you go for your own <laughs> easter a egg dolphin, hunt huh? i yeah. like that i need and to so come next year that yeah. was a new one so that definitely spiced it up and made this one memorable yeah i, I think i'd probably have to go with this year too with just having kids and, and seeing um you know my youngest just turned two and so um everything's really starting to click there and my oldest is you know five and and she uh, I mean, Easter is one of those holidays where she just goes crazy and you know, she's drawing eggs and decorating paper eggs for like months in, in advance. Uh, but just just kind of seeing them, you know, take part in the, the Easter egg hunts and everything's pretty cool. As a kid, uh, I remember a couple of Easter egg hunts that, that we do as a family and um, you know, my every now every you know a few eggs would have like uh, you know Money. a nickel Money, in it yes. or or pennies or or a quarter or whatever, and that was like the highlight. If you got one of those eggs that had had some uh, some loose change in it. Well, that wraps it up for the mailbag, Allie. Good luck here as you get ready for finals week. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, when we come back, we are going to shift the conversation to recruiting. We'll get the latest from the evaluation period next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk some more recruiting as 
We're in the thick of it. Husker staff on the road in full swing, uh, evaluation period, Nate, and you know a lot of stuff going on on the in-state. It's been a very, very busy year, um, especially in the class of 2021. Um, you've got some big names emerging this week alone. You had LSU circling through Omaha. You had Michigan going through Omaha. And most notably, Avante Dickerson, the 2021 defensive back at Westside, received a LSU offer from your old friend Bill Bush, uh, former Nebraska um, secondary coach, um, who Nate actually was his recruiting GA or assistant for how many years? Uh, all, all four? Yeah, for yeah, for as long as Bush was there. Uh, I was kind of his right-hand man, um, you know, kind of would get him on some guys and, and steer him in the right direction. Or when he was out on the road, um, you know, in, in California or Arizona or wherever, he would call me and say, okay, I've I've made my stops for the day. Where else do I need to go? And so I would do a little, do a little leg little work recon. And, and, and send him in, in certain directions. Um you know, maybe the just a little little uh, tangent here. One of the better stories that uh, that I've got on that is is accidentally sending him into Watts on Cinco de Mayo, uh, and almost getting Bill Bush killed because he was his rental was a, like a white Taurus that day, what like a white. It looked like an unmarked cop car, <laughs> and uh, he went in to see Ricky Tenars, um in on Cinco de Mayo, and there was a. Uh, the school was shut down because there was riots between the Hispanic students and the African American students, and uh, he walked right into that school and, and said, "Yeah, I'm looking for." Uh, it was Coach Elijah Asante at that time was the head coach there at, at uh, uh, Ricky's school, and and uh, who was the brother? Ricky was the brother of the Grape Street Crips yes, leaders. Yes. So <laughs> and, yeah, and so and so Bill Bush walked into this into the school, and the coach was like, "What are you doing here? You need to get out of here." And he's like, "No, I came to see Ricky Tenars," and and uh, and he said, "Well, you're you're." Uh, you are going right to the top of the list because you're the only coach who would be either smart enough or dumb enough to walk into school uh, on today uh, to, to see him. And, and so the coach, um, you know, kind of, you know, from that point on, uh, Bill Bush had a lot of cred at that school and it ended up helping to get Ricky Tenars. And he ended up going by Narbonne that same day and, and that ended up helping, uh, helping them get Major Colbert. But uh, that yeah, Bush will never let me live that down because he's like every time I see him or talk to him, he says, "Remember that time you almost got me killed in L.A. when you sent me to uh, on Cinco de Mayo? You sent me into those schools." So, uh, but yeah, Bill Bush making the rounds. He's now at LSU, and I think that uh, obviously, I mean, Vontae Dickerson's size and measurables and, and testing numbers all speak for themselves. He's six one, pushing one hundred and seventy pounds, and. He's got you know a 37, 38 inch vertical, and, and he ran the fastest time at Nebraska's camp last year. Uh, I mean, it's pretty much a no brainer offer. Uh, but it is rare for LSU to come in to Omaha at this point in the in the game and offer. Um, you know, my because re- of the defensive backs they have in that state are incredible. Well, yeah, in in LSU, I mean, that's arguably I know that people like to fight about it, but LSU is is claims DBU. Um, They've had the most first round picks yeah. by far of really anybody. Ohio yeah. State's had a lot. I know Alabama's Florida's had, a lot. had had quite a few. Um, but yeah, so they can recruit the cornerback position nationally, and they do. Um, and so you know, this is another example. I, I think they they can feel like they can probably come into Nebraska and offer Dickerson, who athletically is going to stack up against pretty much anybody in the country, I believe. 
um, and and see you know see what happens. Um, you know, I, I still think Nebraska has got a good shot at getting Dickerson and Teddy Prohaska out of Elkhorn South, the two 2021 kids that they've offered so far. Um, but I wrote about it on Wednesday. I think it's a good problem to have. I know some Nebraska fans are getting all nervous that these big schools are coming into Nebraska that they're not scared away by Scott Frost. But it's a good problem to have because that means that means your your in state talent is legit. Um, you're not just you know you're not just getting guys that that um, you know KU wants. You're you're getting guys that that Michigan and LSU and and you know Notre Dame and and big time national programs want. And, and I think that's that speaks well of the talent that you've got in state. You're listening here to the Husker Online shows. We talk evaluation period uh, with recruiting Nate, and you know, you've got a chance now to kind of watch Tony Tuioti in action. Um, the newest guy to this Scott Frost staff I mean they, they were the same staff together for over three years when you go back to Central Florida and here um, what are your impressions of Tony Tuioti where has he kind of hit the pavement and and, and kind of what has he brought so far well I can tell you you know a couple things right off the the bat the guy is very very organized and detailed um, and you can tell that by how how many schools, how much ground a coach covers um, in a given day or, or even in, in a given week during the evaluation period. Uh, coaches that, that do not have their stuff together don't cover a whole lot of ground. Um, you know, we always talk about Ryan Held and how he seems to be everywhere. Well, that's because he's very organized and, and detailed uh, with how he's going to go about, you know, you know, spending his time out on the on the recruiting trail. Tony Tuioti is the same way. Um, you know, I, I know that uh, a couple big takeaways for me is that um, one of his first stops was at Iowa Western. Um, you know, uh, Perion Winfrey is a is a JUCO D tackle for next year. Uh, he went and saw him right off the bat. Went and saw Nash Hutmacher in South Dakota. Um, he spent, um, oddly enough, he spent some time out in the the, the East Coast and Northeast, specifically in Connecticut, and offering a bunch of guys in Connecticut. You know, that's new. That's got to be a new recruiting territory uh, for for Tuihoti. He's never. I don't believe he's ever. Uh, really recruited that area before, but there's some defensive linemen out there that he apparently likes, he, that he's offered, and a lot of these guys are underclassmen, 2021 or even 2022 players. Um, and then, you know, on Wednesday, he, he goes from, you know, on Tuesday being out in Connecticut, Wednesday he's in uh, Columbia, Missouri, uh, St. Louis, uh, Kansas City. He's covering, he's basically covering uh, all of uh, he's probably flying, you think he's flying commercial to all this? I, I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but but he's covering a lot of ground, and and the feedback from the kids has been very impressive too. Um, they like him. They connect well with him. He's got a good personality, um, and just kind of going along what we've talked about coming out of spring football. I mean, he's he's gelled with this staff immediately. Uh, there's not been any uh, you know any type of adjustment period uh really I, I feel like he he totally hit the ground running and um and he's going to produce on the recruiting trail too you're listening here to the Husker Line show as we talk uh spring evaluation period Nate do you know of any visits Nebraska has lined up with kids on campus here coming up in the coming weeks or I mean is it still kind of you know we're in that period where coaches are gone so often you you may not see a lot of visits until later in the month of may yeah i think you i think it's probably going to come later in the month of may or or the you know when we get a little closer to school being out and, and kids are able to to get out on the road 
and, and take some visits or, or be away from school or whatever. Um, you know, and with the coaches on the road, uh, you don't really anticipate a, a ton of visits right now. I, I, I'm not aware of any, uh, or at least no big visits on the on the horizon at this point in time. But uh, like I said, I, I think you know here in the coming weeks we're going to see that really start to pick up. And then of course in June, you know, once school's over with and and uh, once camp season starts and and kids really kind of hit the road and and take some visits, uh, I think that uh, you know things on the visit trail at least are, are going to really pick up well it's going to be a busy time um on the recruiting trail you got the draft this weekend uh plenty of action on the road for husker coaches and obviously basketball you heard from robin earlier in the show um it is a very very busy time uh, for nebraska basketball with recruiting maybe as busy as we've ever seen in the history of the program so lots to stay up to date with make sure you're on huskeronline.com as we will have you up to date on all of the latest Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 